our second episode of the Destination Cloud podcast series from Meripar Technologies. I'm Simon McGrath, and I will be your co-pilot on this journey today. Meripar is a leading European technology consulting and software engineering company exclusively focused on the media and entertainment industry. Each episode in this series will be discussing hot topics affecting our industry, including the role of cloud technologies, the importance of agility, and future predictions for the industry. You can find out more about Meripar and this podcast series by visiting our website, www.meripar.com. And of course, we would love your feedback. On today's episode, I'm again joined by Alex Borland, who will be the co-pilot on the series with me. It was a great first episode, Alex, with Matt Duhigg from FX Digital. Hi, Simon. I'm great. Thanks. Yeah, we had a great podcast, didn't we, the last episode? Matt was a really good guest. We we talked a lot about the front-end engineering and the challenges there in, in the media space today and, and how to engineer thinking about quality and how to build quality into what we're doing. And as you say, agility, and that leads us on to today's podcast, which is we are joined by two great guests today. Uh, I'm sure you want to introduce them, Simon. Yes, I do. I mean, I think agility, as we discussed with Matt, and as you and I have discussed on many occasions, Alex, as well as with our colleagues, is a very interesting topic in terms of how we see sometimes the conflict, both within our own company as well as within our customers, between the importance of agility and agile ways of working, but also a challenge in some ways with what some would consider legacy waterfall. And I think having our two guests today, Helen Meek from Ripple Rock, and I'll ask you in a moment to introduce yourself, and Andy Spence from Meripar, who heads up our Agile Center of Excellence, to talk about some of this conflict between Agile and Waterfall and the different flavors and sects within the Agile school of working. So, Helen, thank you for joining us today. It's great to have you on the podcast. Tell us a little bit about yourself and how you entered the Agile workspace, so to speak. Well, it's good to meet you all and thanks for having me along. So, my name's Helen and I've been in the Agile business for about 14 years now. I know I don't look old enough. Sadly, you can't see that online. But, you know, I started off when I worked at an insurance company and they were going through an agile transformation at the time. And that was where I got the opportunity in a 10,000 strong organization to put some of these practices into place. Previously to that, I was a project manager for 10 years. So I was very much in that waterfall way of working before I established, actually, there's some real benefits from working in agile. And so for the past 14 years, I've been working at a company called Rock, where I'm a director and I'm a trainer and I'm also a consultant and a coach. I've got a number of different names, but ultimately I'm in the business of helping organizations improve their ways of working to achieve their goals. Thank you, Helen. That's really clear. Andy, great to have you on board as well. I mean, you joined us not so long ago to help us with the delivery of our projects to our customers, as well as for our customers directly in a consulting role to help them manage their own teams and to deliver on the the promise and the benefits of Agile. How have you found it since you've been on board and and what are you seeing and what's your own journey to where you are now? Thanks, Simon. Appreciate it. My journey, it's it's funny, 14 years seems to be the magic number here, Helen. So uh, I'm also around the 14-year mark. I've been doing this. (laughs) Snap, indeed, yeah. 
Yeah, I guess maybe the journey is best place to start on that one. Now, when I first started here in the UK, I worked in IT on an IT help desk for government services, worked in hardware engineering. I had a little bit of a different path. I didn't start in project management much like Helen, but uh, I found myself working on application support teams in, in the media industry kind of towards 2007, 2008. I pulled the short straw in a team and said, oh yeah, you go and be the scrum master. I was like, yeah, whatever. And that's effectively where this started. And it just kind of spiraled from there. But back then, scrum masters weren't the most popular position. So I ended up like sneaking my way in through project management roles, ended up working for media companies and uh, startups, uh, ended up with a large financial giants. And I've worked all over from IT and media through to government services, HR, legal, and been in some similar circles to yourselves as well, guys. So, and I've obviously had, I've had the pleasure of also working with Helen, which has been great. Working with Meripar, obviously, it's been really cool to kind of bring that experience to Meripar and help our clients and customers, which has been awesome. And I guess it's the ethos with which Meripar brings to those clients, which seems to really help me to help the clients as well, which is why I'm here. That's going to be a big part of our talk today is culture, leadership, and how that's embedded at not only ourselves, but our clients as well. Thanks, Andy. As I listen to you speak, and as I also talk to our customers as well as with Alex, I sometimes wonder whether agile and agility, which is what we're talking about today, is an ethos and a philosophy, or is it actually a real set of tools and disciplines and detailed way of working? And of course, I know that they are both. Let's imagine that I'm one of our customers, and Alex and I speak to our customers every day. We've got a delivery to make of an important project, a new service, a new product for, say, Easter 2023 or Thanksgiving 2023. And I'm looking at my teams, I'm looking at my suppliers, I'm looking at the requirements of my business, and I'm trying to work out how I'm going to deliver this. I've got hard dates I've got to meet. Is it as simple? Is it is it binary? Do I go waterfall or do I go agile? How do I go about approaching this? Helen, how would you counsel me in this? So I've not really found anything that can't be done in a more agile or scrum or Kanban kind of like way. There's some stuff that has more complexity. If you're in data science or data warehousing, then there's some challenges around implementing agile in that kind of place. But really, there isn't anything that it can't be used for. And how I would approach it was I would want to be able to sit down and understand of what are the goals that you're going to achieve. If you've got a fixed date, where did that fixed date come from? What did we do? if we don't hit that fixed date? What's the approach to be able to do incremental delivery? Do we have everybody available to be able to kind of like kick this thing off and and run it in a more agile way? So before I even get started, I'd want to be able to understand the aptitude, the coachability of this program to be able to do it. But there's absolutely no reason why anything can't be delivered using the principles and the practices that you get from agile or a method with it. Yeah, I think Helen's spot on there. The thing I'd add to that is the things we can assess and not just the why, but it's also what type of area are we delivering in? Because waterfall isn't the devil. It's not the, the end of the world and the tyranny that it's made out to be, but used in the right circumstances, the right tool for the right job. If you're working in a sometimes dubbed the simple or obvious domain where you know A plus B gives you C every single time, then why add the overheads of agility to something like that? If, if it's predictable, then predictive practices work. And this is where waterfall earns its money. But if it's complex and you're not sure of the outcomes you're going to get, if you're moving from the complicated to the complex, 
and things are unsure and uncertain, we need to be able to test the waters of what we're doing. We need to be able to try something out, learn from that, and then respond to what we're learning. And this is where we need iterative practices. So using the right tool for the right job is something I'd be absolutely adamant we discuss and have a look at. The other thing is be very careful of a, a giant upfront scope that's all set for your Easter deadline that we must, 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 must absolutely meet. Because what often happens with fixed cost, fixed scope, fixed time is if you try and meet that, we end up with quality issues or, or something in the long run. So we need to be careful of those things. And if we think about segmenting it down, there's some really great examples out there in the industry. For example, a very well-known grocery retailer, um, when they were going into Europe, they only went in with one payment function rather than offering a lot. So this is where we can start to have conversations with the organization to understand, well, do you want to get the ROI in 12 or 18 months time? Or is there something that actually we can start getting that value from sooner? And so it's about looking for these possibilities abilities, which in reality could help us to be able to get that feedback, get that cash back from our propositions a little bit sooner into the business. So we have to find out what are these things that are driving those dates and what is the art of possible when we slice this thing down. That's interesting. Yes. So what you're both saying is, as opposed to something that Alex and I have discussed, which is there isn't an either or in relation to waterfall and agile. There can be a combination of the two. There isn't the the classic sort of wave particle duality problem. It's the right tools for the right situation. I do like your wave particle analogy, Simon. I think that that's a great one always. Are you a wave or are you a particle? How adaptable and how agile are you being at any point in time? I mean, if I think about it, though, I mean, I was a project manager for 10 years. I had done my print certification. I was there. I'd got the badge and the T-shirt. And yeah, we had some great successes. And I would never, you know, go against anybody using a waterfall way of working but Agile changed my life. Me as a person who delivers projects, but also me as a person in my behaviors and how I interact with the teams that I'm working with. And that level of empowerment, that a level of a self-managing team, which helps to make those decisions, we win or lose as a team. And it's not just me as a project manager to take the glory, because quite often that's how it felt for me. It's a different way of working. And so whilst I would never be mean to a waterfall way of working, as a person delivering multi-million pound projects, I probably wouldn't go back to that way of working, but it taught me a lot to help me to be where I am today. There's a good point within that, I think, around agility, and you talk about empowerment and self-organizing, self-managing teams. A lot of that comes down to trust being given to you from the management. I think, and management in organizations feeling that they're able to do that. I mean, Andy, could you comment on that? Yeah, I mean, this is the big shift, isn't it? This is this is the cultural shift I was uh, kind of pressing on earlier. Trust isn't built overnight. As Helen just kind of mentioned there, I think when you think back on project management of old, it was all on Helen. <laughs> it was all on the project manager. It was your butt on the line if this thing didn't get delivered. That's why you're there. You're the project manager, right? If this thing doesn't get delivered. So this created quite an interesting thing because the leadership would look at the project manager and go, right, it's all on you. And the team would go, 
we fail, it's all on that person. It's very interesting. This layer suddenly starts to erode and we start to look at the teams and say, hey, you're empowered. And the first thing a lot of them are going is going, whoa, 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 I don't want that empowerment. I, I didn't ask for it. And then when you talk to the teams, like, oh, yeah, the, the management don't trust us and leadership don't trust the teams. And there's this lack of trust effectively when you start eroding that layer. And so you need to build that up over time. And what leadership needs to be aware of, you can't just empower teams right bang, you're empowered. Well done, you're all empowered. It doesn't happen overnight because they don't trust leadership to trust them with what they need to do. So you need to grow that over time effectively. And again, this is where I find iterative ways of working with Scrum in particular, a wonderful thing because these are now two-week experiments you can run, right? So how can we grow that trust over time? So I'm going to delegate just a small chunk of things to you as a team for the sprint. If it fails, we learn and we see what went wrong and we then grow and we pick that up. But obviously the cultural part here is that the leadership needs to then work with the teams to grow them over time. So it's both. So, so continual adaption, you're always mm. adapting. It strikes me here that there is a philosophy and an ethos, and it's not just waterfall versus agile. You mentioned you mentioned Scrum, you mentioned Agile, you mentioned some of the tools which are, I suppose, in your toolkit for delivering. I also hear mention of Kanban, I hear mention of SAFE, all alongside, obviously, the historic waterfall approach to delivery. Can you touch on some of what those tools are? Are they mutually exclusive? Are they all tools which you can use to bring delivery, as you said, Helen, in, into a sort of broad, holistic approach to delivery? Absolutely. And two that I kind of work a lot with is Scrum and Kanban. And they're not mutually exclusive. They can be working together really well. If you'd have asked me 14 years ago in my kind of like first part of my journey, I'd have been Scrum. This isn't Scrum. This is Scrum. Years of hindsight has now kind of like percolated in me that all of these things are there to help you. What we don't do is sell Scrum or Kanban. What we're there to do is to sell solutions to your business and organizational problems. So we're trying to understand what are the things that are impeding you, the time it takes to deliver. Okay, so what can we pull from Scrum and what can we pull from Kanban to be able to help? And you may have flavors of both or you may specialize in one or the other. In reality, safe, you know, whilst it's not one of my favorite methods. It is made up of other methods that are out there, such as extreme programming, Kanban, and Scrum as well, but with their own little flavor. So I think we should be looking to all of these methods and taking the best bits to help us evolve as our organization. Because the bottom line is not that we want to do one or the other. It's we need to be profitable. We need to have happy customers. We need to get us products out to the market because it's that stuff that pays our wages. So for me, being nimble, I'll use, I'll use a different word there because that's what I'm really trying to describe is what organizations are after. So pick from all of these different things to help you get there. Yeah, I can see that. So as as you say that, again, it makes me think that as opposed to coming in just with, right, I do Prince too, I'm a project manager, this is how we will manage it. You're actually saying you come in and you design a delivery methodology, which is almost intertwined with, of course, I mean, absolutely embedded within the project itself. But it's almost a separate design and architecture process to think how best to, to manage the team, to look at delivery, to understand the requirements of the business. I would definitely agree on that. Some cases are like cut and dry, like Scrum will work perfectly. But a client that I'm starting with in the new year, because of their business model, how they sell a product up front and then they develop in-house and then they have to integrate it later, there's no way that something like Scrum is going to work. It's going to be like Scrum, but it's going to be fudging some of these things. And so, 
the ask of the question is, what are you trying to achieve? And then we can look at that process and see where we can optimize that further to be able to achieve ultimately their goals. And it's not just whether it's Agile, Scrum or Kanban. You mentioned something a little bit earlier, Simon, and you talked about leadership training. And I think there's also that element that we have to do there to create the culture, the safety to be able to implement some of these things. And that's quite often the thing that's missed. And that is helping the leaders to realize that they have to be different. I mean, I'll cut to the punchline. The teams will do anything that you ask them to do because that's who they are. Many of the challenges that I see in organizations is how we lead those teams, how we prioritize work, how we speak to them and how we treat them. That's the thing for me that's the biggest change. I can make any of your teams be awesome, but if you don't have the right environment around them, then we can only go so far. So I think it needs to be a mixture of all of those things. Yeah, that's a really interesting point. We see that practically in a lot of our customers today and our clients that we work with. We really see that the leadership, while they talk about becoming agile and they talk about the the business transforming and becoming a much more agile organization, I think down at the lower levels, the, the teams that are really working on things, they are to some degree empowered. But also, there's often a layer that's put in there which still wants their red, amber, green status promoted. They want project managers to oversee what's going on. So there's not that really, while they talk about the trust, I don't see that they're fully giving that trust in in many cases. And all of those good things, I mean, I did an exercise once to map CMMI onto Scrum, and Scrum can meet all of that stuff perfectly. We can still do reporting. We can still let you know on the progress. We still have issue and risk management. It's just as different. And so we need to be able to show our people how it can be different. And we need to create a supportive environment where if something goes wrong, then it's okay. Because sometimes change fail because people fear of letting themselves go because it's something new to them. They don't know and they don't want to get their butts kicked and it affect their pay, their salary and, and their future in the company. So not only are you tackling with implementing new methods and people who haven't worked in this way before, you also got some of those resistances because what does it really mean to me? And that's exactly what I felt when I was told that, Helen, you're no longer a project manager. Here, go be an agile coach. So a blame culture doesn't work in, in environments where there's a blame culture from management down that's really, really not supportive of an agile kind of mentality and a way of working. I think a blame culture doesn't work at any organization, to be honest. I do find that you see people like knock something, oh, that doesn't work, or this is agile. You're like, actually, that that shouldn't work whether you're in any organization, let it be (laughs) a project management um, style organization or agile. We shouldn't be doing things like that. One of the myths often here is agile, you know, only look at it in two-week bursts. Well, actually, the difference is we don't make one giant plan first and then try and make it happen. We're continuously planning. We're always planning. Plan, plan, plan is always happening. It's planning in agility is an activity. It's something that continuously happens and and your product backlogs and the things we use are living artifacts. And this is a a different way to keep transparency high. But delivery is stressful because things come up, people get sick, the business needs to be agile itself and will hence change goalposts or, or course correct and change direction. So delivery by its very nature, whatever method I think is, is a, a stressful exercise. And I think that the metrics are required to be able to gauge how we're doing. And 
And the metrics of waterfall, Gantt charts, RAG status are kind of known and trusted. Do we have those in an agile way of working? Can there be the same confidence from senior management, which, which maybe hasn't bought into agile, to be able to track how we're doing where future risk lies? If a RAG status shot helps you and helps your teams and helps bring you transparency and helps you make informed decisions, all power to you. Unfortunately, in my experience, what I tend to see is RAG status charts and Gantt charts are just used for giant status updates. And this is a big, big difference from where I like to see teams and leadership looking at things. I like to see anything that helps you make active decisions, makes you actionable, actively do something to change the scenario. If you're just there for another status update, you're not planning, right? You are effectively just looking at a static board and all feeling comfortable that things are okay. If it's called moving, watermelon reporting. It's yeah. green, on the, green outside, on the outside, but in the inside, it's red. <laughs> yeah, watermeloning it. For me, that's whether you're waterfall or you're agile, if you're doing anything like that. But we see this in the daily scrum. Daily scrum becomes a status update meeting. This is not what a daily scrum is about or your daily stand-up, right? It is about how you're going to re-enact your plan for the next 24 hours. What do we need to do to make stuff happen? Think about it like that. And whether you're agile or waterfall, that will help you. Take some action. Do stuff. I love watermelon. That's fantastic. I've got to tuck that one away. <laughs> yeah. Actually, Andy, you touched on a point there as well about transparency, because the one thing I've really noticed, and, and I'm relatively new into the agile space, I've done lots of big programs of work over the years, very much in the traditional kind of waterfall methods. But the one thing I've really noticed and seen firsthand and, and had great exposure to was when you work in an agile way, you get really in, in a longer program of work, you get really early visibility of the problems. And so you really unpack and you find those issues, you tease out the issues early on. And I think this is, you know, this is down to very good people understanding, but testing, it comes to your point about testing things out early and trying things and then finding the difficult stuff. And that helps you. If you find things out early in a delivery process, you can deal with them. The earlier you get to know them and to find the problems, the, the earlier you can tackle with them, right? And that's what I've seen Agile really deliver. There's a great adage I use when I'm teaching Scrum, and I've heard it from many colleagues before, is that Scrum will reveal your problems. Mm. It will not resolve them for you. But that's exactly it. It's what you then do with that information and how you respond to it. Now, where I've seen Scrum come a cropper is exactly in that cultural organization where you've spoken about before with this low trust. If teams do not want things exposed and made transparent, Scrum becomes a bit of a threat because we don't want the transparency. We're uncomfortable with transparency. So we need to start yeah. creating the environment that allows us to be transparent because when you are properly transparent, you can truly inspect and adapt uh, and make the right decisions. But that takes time. That's where a lot of our work, I'd say, Helen, is done is on the people side. It's on those hard to master soft skills. And yeah. getting people to open up, uh, getting management to open up. Because as you said earlier, if teams do not see leadership behaving and acting in the same way, they will smell a rat and run a mile. Critical to success is building the right culture into the organization. Yes. Yeah. It's also one of the hardest things to do. And it's not something that you can click your fingers and it will be there. It can take months and years to be able to create that. 
Ellen, yeah. this has been a fascinating conversation. Thank you for joining us. I just want to close off. I suppose I started this conversation thinking the difference between waterfall and an agile approach to delivery project management. And actually what we've ended up talking about is culture, leadership, empowerment, adaptability, toolboxes with really strong tools and methods in them, being nimble, a word to avoid using the word agile, and now transparency as well. It's a completely different approach. So as we move forward, what do you think if I'm leading an organization that has multiple projects, that is out in the consumer world, delivering products and services on tight timeframes with tight budgets and tight resources, what should I be looking at, Helen? What, what should our people be doing next? I think education is important. Educate your people to understand all of these tools that are available to them. Provide the support. You know, you've got Andy, you've got you. Between you, you can create that culture. But also understand the reasons why you want to be more agile. If you think that you're going to be able to get it quicker and cheaper, then sadly, that may not be true. So understand your motivations and the reasons why you want to do this thing and share that with the people that you're working in. And you have to create that environment of trust. It's not going to be perfect. It's not that silver bullet. And it's going to take time to master longer than you think. So you have to be patient as an organization. So there's many facets to think about here, but also your people. You may have listened to this podcast and found it to be a little bit scary, the things that we're talking about. But actually, I made that transition many years ago now, and I've never looked back and it's revolutionized my life. So maybe now is the time to have a little look about what Scrum and Agile really is and what that can do to help you. And if there's one thing that you can take from that, take forward, even if you're still delivering in Waterfall, even if that is a daily kind of get together, start adding little bits to what you do. There's no reason why you cannot do that now. And over time, you will start to evolve and grow and improve. Helen, thank you so much for joining us today. Andy, thanks again as well. And of course, Alex, we'll be together again on number three in our podcast series coming up soon. Thank you all very much for listening.